Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Obviously today is a book episode based on the introduction, so books. Made out of paper. Yep, <laughs> that's the one. Oh man. Uh, I might be a little slow going throughout the whole thing just because I thought I was getting a cold. It's arrived. It is here. Keep your distance. I don't it's need living to get in my nose. sick. No sick over here. You never get sick. That's the worst of it. But when I do, I get really sick. You're a big baby. Yeah. Only a couple of pieces of news this week. The first one being that there is going to be a spinoff series coming out based on two All the Boys I've Loved Before, specifically Laura Jean's little sister, Kitty Covey, who will be the star of XO Kitty. Anna Cathcart will reprise her role of Kitty Covey for the show. The show has been written by the original book series author, Jenny Han. So if you enjoyed To All the Boys I've Loved Before, you should definitely check out the show on Netflix, XO Kitty. Kind of got a weird title, so maybe it'll catch on? Well, it's called XO Kitty because I believe it's going to have something to do with writing letters the same way all the Laura Jean books had to do with her writing letters. So similar she plots, basically. I don't know. Someone said that it's supposed to be fake dating, which, you know, I'm always down for. And the next piece of news came as a bit of a shock to me because I'm not really in this, like, sphere at all. And it's that apparently the Dune movie is only technically part one. This 2021 adaptation of the book only covers the first half in order to establish the world, the characters, all of that fun stuff. And probably because of the success the movie is having, Warner Brothers have announced on Tuesday, October 26th, that they have greenlit part two. Would have been really weird if they hadn't. The, quote, sequel is being rumored to hit theaters on October 20th, 2023. I don't know how accurate that is. Like, I don't think they should be giving that hard date so soon especially with how many times Dune itself has been pushed back. This is, however, the first time that an adaptation of this book has been a success, so we'll have to wait and see where it goes from there. I was going to say Warner Brothers finally hit the jackpot on this one because everybody else has completely flopped. Right. My only issue is you should have already greenlit the second half, whether the first one was a success or not. Like, there is... Kind of like an unspoken rule, an unwritten contract between the reader and the author and the audience member and the studio. Like, you have to tell a whole story in a book or in a series or in a movie. And by splitting it into two parts and then possibly not doing the second part, that's breaking that contract. Well, I think the reason they did it is because they weren't concerned, like, they were concerned about the fact that. Dune has never done that well, so, right. like, I understand the fears and the reasoning behind it, so... I wasn't wanting to see this. Like, I'm not interested in Dune the book. I'm not interested in Dune the movie. But then I saw that it's got Jason Momoa in it, and I was like, maybe we go see Dune. It's it's supposedly a really good movie. I've had a couple friends go and see it, so maybe we do? I don't know. Or if someone you. could just do a YouTube video of all of Jason Momoa's parts and then send it to me, that would be <laughs> great. We'll just do that instead. That's funny. Because like I said, I'm not interested in the concept of Dune as a whole. But I know that for us, today is Halloween, and 
when this comes out, we'll be into the early part of November. <laughs> so I decided for the tag section this week, we're going to do... Thanksgiving? There's no Thanksgiving tag. Oh. I didn't find one, at least. We're doing a Christmas tag. <laughs> you're, you're so not excited anymore. I just don't understand why we're skipping a whole holiday. Oh, God. Don't be one of those people. <laughs> Here's the thing. You've sent something to our family before that is like, no one is skipping Thanksgiving. It's just Christmas, and then a few days for Thanksgiving, and then Christmas. Yes, that's what you believe anyways. Yes. Yeah. So right before Thanksgiving happens, we'll publish one with a Thanksgiving tag. I'll make one if I have to. (laughs) Okay. Green Beans, what's the worst book you've ever read? Right. But basically this tag is listing a different song for each question and then came up with a question for each song title. The first one is, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Name a villainous character you can't help but love. I think I know where you're going. I'd love to hear your guess then, because I don't know that you do know where I'm going. Well, I was going to say the villain's duology by V. Schwab, but now I feel wrong. You are, very much so. So what was your answer? Um, I put zero from the Warcross series, because I feel like you get to see him really grow as a character as well, too. I don't think he's always like the bad baddie the entire time. For myself, I said, a villainous character? I could give you 20. Yeah, but the goal is to get one. That's what this tag is about. Well, I didn't just say one. Of course not. (laughs) So, obviously, Kaz Brecker is the number one. But also, Victor Vale and Gene Tannen and Locke Lamora and Tress Montour from The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis. And I wrote down, need I go on? But apparently, I need not have gone that far to begin with. Gone too far if have you with. <laughs> All I want for Christmas is you. Which book do you most hope to see under your Christmas tree? You, none of them. I originally wrote N.A. <laughs> hey, I was right. I did put down Extraordinary by V.E. Schwab because I do really want to see that underneath the Christmas tree. I have hopes that it will arrive. It's pre-ordered. Yes, but that doesn't mean anything. It needs to be here. Yeah. And it's not. I said the collector's edition of The Lies of Locke Lamora because I bought all the books in mass market because that's all I could find without having to go to eBay and pay a ridiculous amount for it. So I would love that. Noted. But I would never purchase it for myself is what I said. Noted. That means I have to buy it for you. Got it. I mean, if there are clues throughout the weeks of doing the podcast as to what would make a good Christmas <laughs> present for myself. This might be one to note. I mean, that just happens. Yeah. We're just talking and having a conversation. There are no obvious hints being dropped anywhere. <laughs> the next question is, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, name a character that overcomes major obstacles and learns to believe in themselves. Basically an after-school special. So the one I basically put was... Um, Kind of staying on the subject of Warcross was Amika Chen. I feel like she came from like a really low level of poverty and then worked her way to back to poverty more or less. Well, I guess like famous being infamous and then lots she, of monies. She ends the duology making a lot of money. Yeah. She kind of has a double rise. She like comes up and then it's just like, oh, everybody hates her now. Oh, there we are. We're back up to the top again. So. Yeah. I said that I think a recent read of mine really fits this prompt, and it's Lizzie Bennett from The Pride and Premeditation by Terza Price. 
she's trying to get a position at her father's law firm. And so she has to go through this, like trying to solve a case and it's not working. And then she's able to solve it by the end. And like, she figured out she can do it. The next one is Santa Claus is coming to town. And it's got a part A and part B. For part A, you're supposed to list a character that you think would be on the top of the naughty list. You should read part B so I can just talk about them together. Okay, and then part B is who would be on the top of the nice list. So for my naughty list, I put Draco Malfoy. And for my nice list, I put between either Hermione Granger or Luna. Luna is a sweetheart. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. Like, they would be on top of the nice list, too. And Hermione trapped a person in a jar, so... Maybe Luna, then. (laughs) I said for part A, which is the naughty list, all of the best characters, obviously. Here we go. For the next 30 minutes, brought to you by Liberty, the naughty list. (laughs) Yes. So, I'll pick a few that I haven't already mentioned or mentioned recently. The first is Jameson Hawthorne from The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It really feels like he'd be on the naughty list. As well as Oliver Green from the Clue Mystery series by Diana Peterfront. For part B, who would be on the top of the nice list, I have The Wanderer from The Host, Stevie Bell from Truly Devious, and Jess Davis from The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lorne. Especially Wanderer from The Host, because that's kind of their whole thing, is like kindness and goodness. That's why they're called souls, that sort of thing. That makes a lot of sense that they'd be on the nice list then, wouldn't it? Yeah. Although they are invading species of parasite, technically. The next one's Frosty the Snowman. Which book melts your heart? I put N.A. My heart is made of permafrost. I don't give you, like, these super sweet and kind, like, low pace books, so I'm not surprised. The first one I said was the Lumberjanes series. It really gets to my softer side because I love their friendship so much. Because they're a bunch of friends that camp together. It's super sweet. And then The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune also melts me like a snowball in hell, is what I said. Got it. Feliz Navidad. Choose a book that takes place in a country other than your own. I feel like we've read a few of these. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, like obviously the obvious one would be Harry Potter. It's in the yeah. UK. And then, like, we had The Hatchet in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then Warcross takes place in the U.S. and in Japan. Yeah. So, like... I ended up going with Hatchet because I felt like that was the one book where, like, a majority of the story took place in a foreign country other than, like, the easy one, like Harry Potter. Yeah. I said The Old Guard is an easy choice because the first volume doesn't take place in the U.S. It's all All overseas and, yeah. The other one is The One by John Mars, which takes place in the U.K. instead of saying Harry Potter for the U.K. But I feel like the one that really answers this question is All Systems Red by Martha Wells, which takes place in a completely different galaxy. Yeah, I don't think that's what they were looking for, but... That's it's the a, furthest away from my country. It's not a bad answer, I guess. I said, but these are just books people need to read anyway, so... Fair. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Which holiday-themed book do you use to spread Christmas joy? You said none, bah humbug, and all those bad things. She pretty much nailed that one on the head for me anyway. I know you. I got you. Right? I said that I try to read something new every Christmas season. Like, I don't reread holiday books. But last Christmas season, I read In a Holidays by Christina Lauren. You guys know you were there. You talked about it for, like, months. Yes. And the best Christmas-related book that I've read so far this year, because I do a Christmas in July, and then sometimes Christmas books come out in, like, October and November. 
so that you'll read them and then buy them for other people for Christmas was Faking Under the Mistletoe by Ashley Shepard. But I still have a few I'm planning on reading before the end of the year. I think I've also gotten a couple arcs for Christmas ebooks, so we'll see. More to come. The next one, Sleigh Ride. Which fictional character would you choose to spend the holidays with? So I couldn't pick particularly just one, so I chose from Renegades Nova's patrol team. Yeah? Yeah, I figured that it, would would be, be fun. it would be fun to hang out with them for Christmas. Would you want to do it at Gatlin, like the city that they're in, or would you rather it be like here, like in a cabin or something? I'd be okay with either one. I feel like they'd both be fun. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I said the whole family and family friend group from In a Holidays by Christina Lauren because they do the same traditions every year, stuff around the house like baking and decorating the tree and stuff outside like making snow animals instead of snowmen and a scavenger hunt that they do in the town. Plus, they're staying at someone's cabin in Salt Lake City, and I just want that so much in my life. The penultimate question, baby, it's cold outside. Which book that you did not like would you sacrifice to a fire to warm yourself? Know that I would never do this to begin with, but also if we have another snowpocalypse. We have plenty of cardboard boxes from the cat to sacrifice (laughs) to the fire. That's true. I put wrong. You don't burn books. Oh, I've got two answers. Well, you're a horrible person, and I thought I would be right on the same page with you, but I guess I'm not sacrificing any pages, and you are willing to There is them. also a chance that these books have already made it to a second-hand bookstore, and they, they're not here anymore. So, who knows? But Sag Harbor by Colson Whitehead and The Magicians by Lev Grossman. They can be a heap of flames together, is what I said. It's fair. I know I've talked crap about both of them already a lot. And then some. Rude. Is it? Is it? (laughs) Yeah. And the last question, do you hear what I hear? Which book do you think everyone should read? So I went based off of series because I'm just breaking all the rules today with this. I put either Vicious or Harry Potter series. Okay. Yeah. I would go with Vicious because that doesn't get enough love. I don't understand why it was such a good book. I don't know. Like, don't get me wrong. The flippy floppy storyline drove me insane a little bit, but like. It's so good. It is. I love it. Yeah. I said that I don't usually recommend books to everyone because people have different reading styles. But I think the closest a book comes for me as being like something I can recommend broadly is The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse by Charlie Mackesy because it's sort of like a fictional self-help kind of like these are all things that your therapist would tell you if you were in therapy but in a more manageable, understandable, I'm not going to laugh at this kind of way. Gotcha. For those of us who don't love therapy. But that was the first Christmas tag. Maybe the only Christmas tag. I hope not. I hope you let me do it again later. (laughs) As long as it doesn't become as regular as Christmas music does after Thanksgiving, I'm okay with it. (laughs) No, I'm going to let that lie. Okay. (laughs) As for what I have been reading... Over the past week, I read All of Us Villains by Amanda Foodie and Christine Lynn Herman. This was a NetGalley read, and the book comes out on November 9th, so really soon. I rated it four stars, and it's book number one in a series. It might just be a duology, but I can't find out more on Goodreads for some reason. But it is a YA fantasy novel where every generation, seven families in the remote city of Ilvernath, 
each name a champion to compete in a tournament to the death in order to have exclusive control over a secret well of high magic. To a degree, I could understand where a couple of the reviews have called it a little derivative, but at the same time, I feel like it puts enough of its own sort of twist and atmosphere that I think it stands on its own. I liked some of the characters more than others. The language that is used when they're first doing individual chapters with characters makes one character sound very dark and villainous and Obviously, he was my favorite because, hi, hello. You are you, after all. I'm going to do me, and that's just how that's going to happen. However, it also does call into question sort of the stories we tell each other and ourselves about who we are individually as people, which probably isn't the point of most of the book, but that is something that I took out of it that I enjoyed. And the magic is different to a lot of different fantasy books that I've read before. And I think that is what makes that one stand out for me. It's good. Yeah, and it was fast-paced, easy to read, so I enjoyed it. Those are always good ones to have to start the week. And then I trudged through The Order of the Phoenix. For some reason, I just wasn't feeling it. And I don't know if it's just because it's that one out of all the Harry Potter books. Right. And, like, nothing good happens. And Harry has a no good, very bad year but I just wasn't feeling it. I think I read it in three and a half or four days. And then I added something I wasn't planning on reading because I got approved for it on NetGalley and it comes out really soon. It's Holiday Wishes and Mistletoe Kisses by M. Ulrich. Like I said, I read it through NetGalley and it comes out on November 16th. Sadly, I ended up rating it 2.5 stars averaged because it is four stories bound together into one thing, so each one got its own rating, and it averaged 2.5 stars. It's an adult romance-slash-holiday novel. In this one, we have four stories surrounding four holidays. On Thanksgiving, we follow Billy and Leah as they go to Billy's family home to meet the parents. On Christmas, we follow Liv and Theo as they struggle to host a holiday full of cheer despite the struggles in their marriage. On New Year's Eve, we follow April and Gemma as they meet at a party and instantly hit it off. And for the final story on New Year's Day, we follow Eloise and Jesse as they try to start the new year on the right foot, despite not ending the last one on a great note. These all sound like really depressing stories to an extent, except for really one, per se? Well, they all get to that like romance happily ever after that you're expecting, because it's a romance. But... I enjoyed the fact that these were all women love women stories. Yeah. And I appreciated that you really did, for those holidays, get those holidays specific vibe. But there were a couple things that bothered me. The main problem I had was the fact that despite doing her best or his best at their best to show... These happy relationships coming together and being very pro-LGBTQIA whatever. When discussing the LGBTQIA community, the author dropped off a letter like it just didn't exist. And that just feels like erasing that part of the LGBTQIA community, which I didn't appreciate. It might be because my identity is the one that was stripped out of that, but... right. 
I think it bothered me because instead of doing LGBT or LGBT plus or whatever in the novel, it was LGBTQI and just completely dropped off the A. And it would have bothered me less if they just said LGBT throughout the novel. Because that's what a lot of people say to mean the LGBTQIA community. And like, you just were missing one letter. It's frustrating because a lot of people think that the A means ally, whereas the A means asexual, agender, aromantic. It does not mean ally. And it does not mean you can just drop it off and act like it doesn't exist. And, like, it did a lot of things right for queer people, for lesbians, but it did dirty the asexual. So it's sort of a mixed bag. I'm sorry that you felt like you were excluded from it. I I don't understand where it would have tied in directly with the story, but I, I guess I get it. There's one character who runs a after-school club for the LGBTQI community at her school. And that's why it gets brought up multiple times because she's like talking about it as the stories are going on. That's fine. Add a effing A to the end of that and we're good. But you dropped it off because you think it stands for ally or you don't believe in asexuals or whatever. But like it has nothing, like no real plot bearing on the story, which is why I'm confused why you dropped it in the first place. But on top of that, The writing style in general I wasn't a fan of because these are all established relationships except for one story, and a lot of the conflict could have been easily handled if people would just effing talk to each other, which I don't enjoy. Like, if your story hinges around the fact that they're not talking to each other, you don't really have a story, in my opinion. But if you are the type of person who likes established relationship stories in your romance, you'll probably like this. That's just not really my thing. Gotcha. And I guess I'm going to talk about this next one here just because I literally only have 80 pages left. Like, if it hadn't been for reading that NetGalley book, I would have finished this one. But I read slash I'm finishing today The Beautiful by Renee Audier, which is a 2019 release in a YA fantasy slash historical fantasy, I want to say, because it takes place in the late 19th century. It's book number one in the beautiful series. In 1872, New Orleans is a city ruled by the dead, but for Celine Rousseau, New Orleans is a refuge after she's forced to flee her life as a dressmaker in Paris, until one of the girls from the convent she is taking shelter in has been found murdered. Or murdered. As you would put it. When I first read this, I gave it a 3.75 stars because it does that thing that historical fiction does, which is I'm going to be overly descriptive with the setting and the clothing and the style the characters have in order to put you in that time period. And so it does feel very atmospheric and historical. The problem, however, is that stuff is not fun to read. And I think that's why I originally rated it 3.75 stars. But this is my technically third time reading this novel. I feel like it does not stand up to multiple rereads. And so honestly, at this point, I kind of don't know if I'm even going to finish the series. Because I'm not having a good time. Yeah. But I liked this one enough to read the second one. And I did 
And I liked it less than I liked the first one. And I pre-ordered the third one. So if the third one comes and I read it and I feel about the same, I'm not going to pick up the last book. Just because, like, I'm not going to put myself through rereading books that I'm not having a great time with. Yeah. But I'll finish that today, so just, you know, I finished, or I will. Hooray! And then I have another NetGalley read I recently got approved for. I don't know why they're waiting so late, because it comes out in November. That is pretty close. But I got approved last week for Unraveling Eleven by Jerry Chisholm. It comes out on November 16th. It's a YA dystopian novel and book two in the Eleven trilogy. This one takes place immediately after the events of book one. We see the fallout from what happened when Eve Hamilton left Compound Eleven, which is a big no-no, by the way. In the first book, we saw a tyrannical government and what happens when one girl challenges everything. And I feel like that's the best non-spoilery way to explain book one and what might be happening in book two. Sounds like it could be a good series. I really do enjoy dystopian novels still. I know a lot of people had like a dystopian novel phase, but like I can still just anytime I'll read it, enjoy it most likely. So. Right. And then the last book I'm hoping to finish this week is Starsight by Brandon Sanderson. It's also a 2019 release. This one is a YA science fiction novel and book number two in the Skyward series. At the end of the first book, Spencer discovered some truths about her father and herself, and now Spencer has to go to the ends of the galaxy in order to save humankind. That is the most non-spoilery synopsis I could write for that, so hopefully that works for us. It pretty much is good enough for me. But that is because you have managed to finish, finally, Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. You actually finished it pretty early in the week. You read it, I think you finished it on Tuesday. Yep. You you weren't actually that far off from finishing it when we had to record last week, but far enough that it did not feel comfortable trying to force you to read all that in time. Correct. Thanks to our trip, it kind of threw off my reading schedule, to say the least. A lot of walking, eating, and sleeping. Sounds like a good vacation, except sure. for the walking part. I was going to say, we, we relaxed a little bit, I feel like, but a lot of it was very go, go, go. Yeah. That will also mean that you will be reading the first, third of Starsight for next week. Yeah. But before we get there, we have to finish Skyward. I don't know that I really want to do the whole break it down Barney style like we normally do. Like We can just go over slightly because some big important things did happen at the end. So if I remember correctly, because it's been several weeks now, the second third wrapped with them doing like the Viking style funeral for Hurl. Yes, and then driving the engine back. Yes. And at that point, they were on some R&R time, if I remember. Correct. And so that's basically when Rig and Spencer put in a lot of time on Embot. Pretty much finish him up. This was also the moment that Spencer realized that there is a hollow recording of the Battle of Alta. And that if she can get her hands on it, she can see all the things. Yeah. But she goes back to base to give Hurl's pin to Hob and um, ends up getting his permission to go get the recording, basically. In a roundabout way, because he didn't directly ever give her permission to grab it, but like it was right. like, here are all the things you'll need to get to it. But I didn't tell you you can, or can't. Yeah, plausible deniability. Yep, sounds about right. And she did go to 
the restaurant with a bunch of the other people that had been in her flight. And had left the flight group, yes. I called him Hob and it's Cobb. Yeah, I was going to correct you, but I was letting it go because, you know. The cold is getting into my brain. Yeah. Just to clarify for everybody, I did offer for us to record this later for her to relax and take care of herself because I know how my cold works. I'm going to be worse tomorrow. She ends up taking the disc thing, the the hollow, to the uh, spaceship in her cave. Correct. And they roll through it together like he projects it and everything. And she realizes there's something off. About the story she was told about him running away when realistically he came back and just started shooting everybody down. Right. And that's why he went down is because he was shooting his team. You're just gunning for that sexy raspy voice on the podcast. If other people can have it, why can't I? Yeah. I'm sorry. All right. Let's do this. (laughs) They end up finding out that they're basically done with hollow practice and it's just real battles and real practice from now on. And they start flying different types of sorties, too, to try to get them more well-rounded for whatever they end up getting pushed into flight-wise. Yeah. If I remember correctly, they end up also flying with different people and different planes and different types of missions so they can figure out where to place them. Or different sorties, which would be all the things you just listed, but in one word. It's okay. I get it. You're in the army. That's a flying term. I understand. And we find out that Spencer gets all of the cadet privileges she should have had from the beginning because someone on medical is like, what the hell are you doing to this child? Yeah. After that last battle that they had, they got medical evaluations and someone let it slip what was happening with Spencer. Someone as in Cobb. Yeah. Not Hob. Cobb, Hob. Sounds about the same. Yeah. And I think that next battle is when Arturo ends up leaving. Is that correct? That sounds right. And he ends up getting a full pin, I believe. Correct, because his parents are OGs. Well connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all things. Money, power, privilege. Because his family didn't want him flying anymore because it's getting real and scary. As well, too, they wanted him to fly for themselves. Yeah, as like private private Security or escorts down in the caves. Well, no, but... There's someone whose family flies down in the caves. Not in that this book. Maybe in the next one that you're spoiling for me. Their 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 units are kept in the cave, <laughs> but okay. they're brought up on an elevator to transport, transport ships around the planet. But foggy, sick brain, I understand. It's getting the best of you. Oh, we also find out Imbot made a copy of the um, flight thing. Right, which allows her to fly with them, which is a little weird. Yeah, basically it's a projection that Imbot does, and like the projection gets adjusted for the moves and things she does, which I feel like doesn't make any sense, but it's science fiction, so we have to act like it does. It makes plain sense. It's just really intense projection. Like It's a level of projection that... like. I personally would not have thought was feasible, but, like, kudos to Mbot being, like, cool enough to do it, I guess. Yeah. And that, I believe, is when Spencer follows her dad in the projection to figure out where he went. Because when he came back is when he turned on his team. She discovers that she feels like the stars are staring at her and just freaks out and is like, shut it off. Mm-hmm. Starts to get a little too real. 
Well, and she thinks Imbot's doing it at first. Imbot's like, I didn't do that. And then something I think is really funny, Imbot wrote a subroutine so that he could simulate the feeling of fearing death. Yeah, that was a really dark scene to an extent. and uh, I, I feel like the Imbot part was put in there just to add some levity after such a serious scene. I guess, yeah. This is also the moment where Imbot's like, I have to listen to my old pilot, and I know you're never going to not use me, so I'm just going to power down now. Yeah. And she's like, no, you're mine. I repaired you. He's like, no, I don't think so. And then when she went back to her classes, she's like, all these planes suck. I want my plane. I can't have my plane. Yeah. And the irony is, like, Mbot only has one of the three engines that he should technically have, like, thruster-wise for, like, Mm -hmm. the boosters. Just imagine. Just imagine. I imagine I'm not going to have to when I start reading the next book. I would imagine they would hopefully give Mbot everything he needs to fly whatever he wants to fly. And all the fungus he could ever need. Yeah. We also see that Spencer goes down to visit her family. That was a weird set of scenes as well. Like, Grandma was kind of strange and Mom was like... Grandma's always been strange in this one. Yeah, but, like, more so than normal. Yeah. And then Mom is kind of just like, I'm busy working. Like, are, are you back? Yeah. Is this the end of everything? Yeah, or did you quit? And, yeah. And she's like, no, I'm down here to let you know that I'm going to be graduating next week. Or in two weeks, I think, is actually the time frame. But. And they have the discussion about her being able to hear the stars, and Grand keeps calling it a gift, and she's like, it's not a gift. And she's like, we have to learn to control it in order to defeat the Krell and get off the stupid planet. Yeah, which eventually she'll realize why at the end of this book, which was kind of cool. Yeah, there's some more battle scenes. Jerkface has accepted his name finally, which was nice. I thought that was really funny when he had to introduce himself to the other flights as Jerkface. Yeah. Jerkface, checking in. Call sign Jerkface. Yeah. Like, what? And they also got to show off a little bit because, like, they know how to do some stuff that full pilots haven't learned yet. Well, yeah, and the full pilots are trying to, like, show off to them, and they're like, yeah, we learned how to do that in, like, the second week. Yeah, so, like, what are you doing? Yeah, big whoop. Congratulations. Her and FM just start doing all sorts of stunts. Mm Mm-hmm. Spin ends up going in an uncontrolled crash, and she ejects. ejects. And, like, she's been denying, saying, I would never, I would never, and then she does. In fairness, she also was like, I will never, I will never, while she was going down. Yeah. And then realized that. Last minute, she just did it. Yeah. And because of that. She's dropped from class. She's been dropped from the school. And put into the reserves, basically. Yeah. Which I think is BS. Well, considering they they barely get enough pilots in a flight group and the way they're losing them, you would think there would be no reserves anymore the way they're going at it. But but also, planes go down every day and they need that equipment, so they want you to save the plane. Yeah. But it is what it is, I guess. She does attend the graduation for the two people who graduate from her class, which are Jerkface and FM. Yep. She ends up meeting up with some of the other ones that were from her flight group. And listening on a private radio, the crazy battle that is ensuing. Yes. And a lot of people are still down in the caves, and so they're having an issue with having enough people to fight the Krell because, like, this is the Krell's full numbers this time. And so that usually requires all of them to fight the full 100. Correct. Something like that. They're talking about 
between the group from the flight, like, can they do anything to deal with the fact that they're not prepared for this fight? Yeah. On the radio, they call out that there's a life buster coming. Yeah. And so the other three people that were dropouts of the flight go down to take Arturo's private fighters up out of the elevators. But that's going to take mine shaft time. too much time. Yeah. And I believe that Spencer ends up taking the broken ship. Arturo's broken ship. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, you're not going to have this, and you're not going to have no this, shields. and you're not going to have this. No shields was the most important part of that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, that's fine. And the person, like, strapping her in and helping her get in the plane is like, you're going to be totally exposed. She's like, I understand what you are saying. I understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. Right. Mm-hmm. And she checks in, and Ironsides is like, who gave you a ship? What is happening? Understandably so. She ends up telling her where to go and what to do. We get this little clip, this little section, where Ironsides is watching everything happen, and someone's like, have you ever seen flying like that before? And it says, Judy nodded. She had, in one other pilot. Clearly her father. Duh. Yeah. The important part from Spencer is, like, I couldn't explain it. I somehow sensed the orders that were coming from above telling the Krell ships what to do. Yeah. Because I feel like that's really important in order to understand what happens in the end of the novel. And the only ships that she can't grasp that from are those little black ones that are attached to the... um, Life Buster. Life Buster. Mm -hmm. Because they're more than likely just AI. They're not needing communication. Like, it's just a, like... Drone, basically. Well, and you would want a drone instead of an alien or, you To know, be at risk people. near the life buster. Yeah. yeah. And Spencer goes into another crash. This time, though, can you really blame her? Well, like, no. It was like 15 on one. She was flying a Poco that had literally no defense capability. And Arturo ends up showing up with his private ships that he uh, borrowed from his parents. And then we see callsign Mongrel come in, flying in bot of all planes. At first, I'll be honest, I thought he was the pilot, like the one, but clearly he's not, so. It's Cobb. Yeah. And the funny thing that I really enjoy, of course, because I love my sassy AI, is Imbot saying, hello, you have nearly died. Yeah. Going on, like, I will tell you something to distract you from the mind-numbing implications of your own mortality. I hate your shoes. Yeah. It's like, Imbot, you're stupid. I love you. It literally made me laugh out loud while you were back here editing the podcast. And, like, you were literally like, what was so funny? I'm like, oh, you know. Like, you know. It was good, though. And in the end, Spencer ends up flying Imbot into battle, which, I mean, a lot of them were not prepared for. Well, no one was prepared for. Right. She basically used herself as a giant distraction for everybody else to be more effective. So it was interesting, to say the least. Yeah. I can't remember how she stopped the life buster from killing everyone. Cytonic warp. Oh, yes. Because she has the power to see the stars. But she's basically able to use that what we would deem in most sci-fi worlds as warp speed or... Light speed or any of the other things that are related to really, really high speeds that Would we basically not call it teleportation? No. Not quite. Whereas like most of the people on the planet have never seen something like that before in their lifetime. Right, right. So they're like, How the hell did you do that? And be like, I don't know. I was there and then I wasn't. Like that's the way she visualized it. 
I mean, she's dragging the life buster behind her, and there's a thing with Imbot where he's talking to her, and he's like, oh, we're going to be in the middle of everything when it explodes, and then running through, like, all the systems. Yeah. The two things that are normally never online are suddenly online, which is the biological component and the cytonic hyperdrive. Right. And he's like, it's online, spin! And she does the thing. Yeah. And the way that it's described is that she found herself someplace dark that's not just black, but, like, nothingness. And matter did not and could not exist. And in the space between heartbeats, is what she called it, is when all of the stars were looking at her and she was able to take the life buster through space. Far enough away to get from the planet and everybody else at Alta and down below in Igneous. Yeah. And everyone ends up thanking her over the thing. Over the radio. Yeah, and Imbot says, mushrooms are the preferred offering. Yeah. As many varieties as you can do. Yeah. Like, are you always going to have that, Imbot? Can you not write something to get around that? Spencer starts doing the thing that her dad did, which was... Going up to space? Well, and like... She felt like she couldn't not. It's like she was almost hypnotized, like she had to do it. Yeah, had that million-yard stare. Right, and so she should have just gone back to base, but instead she finds a way through the debris to get up to the stars, basically, in the sky. And basically what they're realizing is that the planet is basically a prison. Right. And the Krell are basically wardens who are all trying to keep them oppressed so that they can't try to escape the prison. Correct. Because humans are horrible and should be stuck in one planet. Go figure. That's not quite the twist you were expecting. It honestly wasn't that far from what I was expecting, but yeah. Because I felt like there's just random portholes. Like, they're, they're not random. They're probably controlled. Possibly. You mean where the debris eventually clears out a space? Yeah. Trying to think if there was anything else you found out about Spencer or the planet. I know that she ends up going back and Ironsides is like, I want your ship. And she's like, that ship will kill itself. Yeah, it'll suicide itself. Don't worry about it. If you try to take him, he will just kill himself. I think that's pretty much about where it ends. So we'll leave it at that? Yeah. I think it leaves off on a slightly different note than what we're saying because... Spencer ends up telling them that the Krell think that they are stuck on this planet. And Jerkface is like, are we not stuck on this planet? Because it feels a lot like we're stuck on this planet. And she basically has this internal monologue about how because she is defiant, because she is able to see the stars and the stars see her, that they aren't stuck there. And like, there's this whole feeling of like hope. And chance. I'm excited to read the next book. Obviously, this last one was pretty action-packed. I'm a little sad how long it took, but I'm not surprised because of, like, the vacation and just no time. It's only going to get worse thanks to the holidays. I'm thinking we're going to be able to get through Starsight by the end of the month, though, so I don't think We should be able to very easily. I don't think that'll be a problem. We are going to end up taking the week of Thanksgiving off, but we still have enough time in there. That's not to say that I'm not going to have time to read on Thanksgiving week. It's just right. we won't be recording that week because it's a crazy week for me. Well, and it's going to be crazy for me. I'm not going to be in the state for four days. Yeah. So. 
we will be super excited to discuss with you guys the first third of Starsight next week. And hopefully I won't be sick anymore. And we'll see you next Tuesday for the next sports episode. Bye, guys. Bye.